holy, holy, holy. There is none like You. And we pray, Father, that our lips would proclaim of Thy mercy all the days of our lives. Father, as we conclude this weekend, now I pray that You would give us strength to endure after hearing many words and studying various texts. Father, I pray that You would strengthen me, empower me by Your Spirit to speak truth that would build up and encourage Your people for Your glory. So, Father, lead us, guide us in Your truth now, and we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. If I haven't met you out at the book table, my name's Matt. I'm husband of Anna, pastor here at Geist. Some one of you jokingly asked me out at the table uh, if I felt out of place at the Women's Weekend. I said, well, no, uh, I really don't, because it's just a great joy to be in the back and listen to the singing and hear the teaching, and then it's a privilege to be able to share from God's Word with you to conclude our time this morning. My beautiful bride, Anna, showed us how the New Testament book of James likens the disproportionate power of the tongue to a bit in a horse's mouth, a small rudder that steers a huge ship, a tiny spark that can ignite a destructive fire. And just so you know, the fire that I had in the front yard didn't burn anything that I didn't want it to burn. So let's set the record straight. It also acts like an untamed animal that seeks to devour its prey. And each of our lives bears testimony to the power of words for better or worse. Some of you carry with you painful scars of words that were lobbed into your life like a hand grenade that exploded. Many, if not all of us, have tossed our fair share of word grenades into the lives of others. I openly confess that I certainly have. The power of words is irrefutable and unmistakable, so we're going to conclude our weekend together by looking at some practical principles from the Old Testament book of Proverbs that will help guide us in our speech. Many of us are familiar with the book of Proverbs. It's a collection of short sayings and statements that offer advice and counsel to us, little nuggets of truth that are pointed and powerful. One of the best pieces of advice that a spiritual mentor of mine during my college years told me was to pick a proverb that corresponds to that day of the month and read that proverb for the day. So 31 proverbs, most months have 30 or 31 days. Today is the ninth day of the month, so today is a day to read Proverbs 9. It's a great way to work through the Proverbs and see the wisdom of the Proverbs work and need its way through our lives. There are many Proverbs about money, sin, wisdom, knowledge, work, laziness, friendship, and anger. But one of the most emphasized topics in the entire book of Proverbs is that of our speech. Around 150 times in the book of Proverbs, we find words that describe what we say. Words like speech, mouth, which is used 46 times, lips, 33 times, words, 46 times, and tongue, 11 times excuse me, 19 times. 
Clearly, those who wrote the Proverbs under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit understood the overwhelming power and significance of the words that we use. So, these Proverbs will guide us in the way that we apply the truths that we've heard into our daily lives, Lord willing, as we leave here today. So, if you're not there, take your Bible and turn with me to Proverbs. We're going to begin in Proverbs chapter 10. It's on page 534 if you're using one of the Bibles that's provided in your seat. Proverbs chapter 10, we're going to look at verses 19 through 21. While you're turning, let me say, studying the book of Proverbs is a little different than studying other books of the Bible. The principles that we're looking at are sprinkled throughout the book of Proverbs, so I'm going to be mentioning a lot of different Proverbs during our time together uh, this morning, as well as some other supporting texts from both the Old Testament and the New Testament, some of which you've already heard either last night or this morning, but I'm going to mention them again because Proverbs takes these biblical truths and it really brings them all together and says, here's what it looks like to live these principles out in our daily lives. We're going to see that Scripture is consistent and it is clear regarding how we use the words. And I'll say this, most of the Proverbs, besides this first one here in Proverbs 10, will be on the screen because I'm going to be jumping through the book rather quickly. And what I encourage you to do is to write down the references there in the booklet that you have so that you'll have them in the future when you need them rather than trying to keep up with me as we fly through the book of Proverbs. But we begin here in Proverbs chapter 10, verses 19 through 21, which I do hope you're looking at there in your Bible. These verses give us this overarching principle of the Proverbs and the principle that we've already heard through our study together concerning words. And then after we look at this, we'll journey together through the various Proverbs. We'll see here that Proverbs 10 has a lot to say about words. And these three verses in particular use a pattern of repeated contrasts to reveal our overarching principle. So let's finally now look at the text. Proverbs 10 beginning of verse 19. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is of little worth. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense." Now, did you catch the repeated pattern there in the text? The first line of each proverb, it makes a statement that is then repeated and stated in opposite form using slightly different language in the second line. Look at verse 19 there. The first line says, many words means a lot of transgression, but the second line tells us few words symbolized by restraining lips is prudent or good. Now, skip down to verse 21. It tells us that the lips of the righteous, in other words, good words, feed many, i.e., they give life. But the second line tells us the lack of sense on the part of the fool leads to death. So following that same twofold pattern in verses 19 through 21, we can look at that verse there in the middle, verse 20, and we read that the tongue of the righteous is choice silver. So good words are valuable. 
Good words build up. But then we see the second line where we read the opposite is also true. The heart of the wicked is of little worth. Now, what just happened here in this verse? Choice silver is contrasted with the little worth, and the tongue of the righteous is contrasted with the heart of the wicked. Solomon compares the tongue to the heart. Why? Because the author of the proverb, the wisest person ever walked the face of the earth, interchanges the tongue and the heart to show us the same exact principle that we've been looking at tonight and this morning. Worded slightly different than what you heard from Pastor Nathan or from Anna this morning, this principle continues to guide us in our speech, and it is this, your words reveal your heart. Your words reveal your heart. As Pastor Nathan told us last night, if we're going to have transformed speech, then it requires a transformed heart. Because like a telescope peering through deep space to reveal the hidden gems of creation, our words provide a pathway that peer into the deep crevices of our hearts. Because what is in the heart will eventually make its way to the lips. Sinclair Ferguson says it this way, our tongues are the reporters of our hearts. This foundational principle was reiterated by Jesus in Luke 6.45. That verse that was first given to us last night in the introduction, the verse that has seemed to weave its way through each of these talks, Luke 6.45 says this, The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good, and the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Now, it's true that you may be able to fool people for a while, perhaps even for much of your life. You may even be able to deceive yourself into thinking that you're someone who you really are not. But eventually, the fruit of your heart will reveal your true identity. If you're a Christian, your speech will be transformed because your heart has been transformed. This means the opposite is true, too. If your speech isn't transformed, If your speech isn't distinctively different from the unsaved world around you, then it may mean your heart isn't transformed. Because apart from the sovereign work of God in our lives, apart from God giving us a new heart, we can do nothing but spew evil. Exactly what we just heard in James 3, who told us in verse 8, no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. The tongue cannot be tamed by man or woman, but the good news is that it can be tamed by God. The tongue of sinful man or sinful woman may be filled with poisonous venom, but God has the anti-venom. 
Our words have power, and as we heard last night, God's Word has all power, and praise be to God, the Word became flesh, and Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life. The God-man came and did what we cannot do. He bridled His tongue. He fulfilled the law. He died for our sins as the perfect sacrifice on the cross. He rose again, conquering death, that whoever believes in Him might be freed from the power of sin and death the sentence that sin requires. Romans chapter 10, verses 8 through 10, tells us these wonderful news. The Word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the Word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And listen to these words. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. Perhaps this weekend you've realized that the reason why you've struggled for so long to control your tongue and often failed is because you're trying to do it on your own strength. You've not cried out to Jesus and asked Him to give you a new heart. Romans 10 verse 9 gives us the solution. You confess to the holy God that you're a sinner and you believe in Jesus so that through His work, not yours, through His power, not yours, the mouth that once spewed poison might confess Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Because only through the work of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit can we in fact Learn to control our tongues. We as believers in Christ have a God-given responsibility to fight the sinful tendency of our tongues. As James tells us in chapter 1, verse 26, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, the person's religion is worthless. Meaning if indeed you are a follower of Jesus whose life is marked by true living faith and your speech ought to confirm your calling. So now that we have the principle established, now that we have an understanding that we can't do it, but God can, and His Spirit who indwells those who believe empower us to use new words, how do we do it? This is where the book of Proverbs comes in. Let me point you to five of some of the most obvious and pervasive types of words that lead to death in the book of Proverbs, and then provide some practical application on how to replace those five things, avoid them in our lives, and use instead words that speak life. Again, you'll notice the overlap between many of these five with some of the truths from Ephesians 4 and James 3. Why? Because Scripture continues to repeatedly and repetitively points us to the same core issues of the human heart. There is nothing new under the sun. The first one is listed in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 17. Among this list of things that Proverbs 6 gives us, that God hates, and that is a lying tongue. So number one, lies. Lies. This is perhaps the most easily identifiable of all of the words that leads to death and perhaps the most pervasive. When you choose to lie, you do primarily two things. Number one, you serve yourself over God and over others. 
You serve yourself over God and over others. And number two, you serve the purposes and plans of Satan. John chapter 8 verse 44 tells us that Satan is the father of lies. It was a lie in Genesis 3 that undermined the truth of the Word of God and questioned the truth of God and inserted instead the lie into the ear of the woman. Lying may seem like, at the time, the easy way out of a very difficult situation. It may seem like it's even helping in the short term because you perhaps avoid a consequence or or you sidestep that disagreement with that person you really don't have time to handle right now. But look at the two outcomes of telling lies in these two Proverbs here quickly. They'll be on the screen. Proverbs 17, verse 20. A man or woman of crooked heart does not discover good, and one with a dishonest tongue falls into calamity. So eventually, your lies, even though it may be easy at first, it will lead into ultimate calamity and trouble. Proverbs 26, verse 28 says this, A lying tongue hates its victims. That's a strong word. Hates its victims. That may mean you think you have the best intentions. You think you may be sparing someone from potential pain, but in reality, reality, your lying tongue is multiplying the hurt. So rather than lies, what ought we do? Most of you probably guess it. Tell the truth. We've heard this, right? Tell the truth. Two Proverbs give us direction in this regard. Proverbs 12, verse 19. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Why? Because truthful lips reflect a heart that has been transformed that will, in fact, live forever, whereas a lying tongue is evidence of a life that has not been changed. When you lie, the perceived positive outcome, ultimately, it is temporary. It is fleeting. But in the end, the truth will triumph and endure through the long haul. Proverbs 14.25 also speaks to this truth. Truthful witness saves lives, but one who breathes out lies is deceitful. A truthful witness saves lives. Speaking the truth means that we focus on what is true before we allow words to come jumping out of our mouth. We should not base our words on presumptions of what other people think or feel. We should not base our words strictly on feelings, but we must ground our words in what is true. That ultimately, the foundation of true biblical love surfaces in our lives. I love officiating weddings, and I've had the privilege of marrying at least one of you in this room here with to your husband, and one of the verses that often gets mentioned in wedding ceremonies is that passage that Rosalind just read for us a little bit ago, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. But 1 Corinthians chapter 13, once you understand, it was originally written not in the context of marriage, but to a local church, 
to a local church that ought be unified to show the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace that God has given a very diverse group of people. And what 1 Corinthians 13 reminds us is, is that love rejoices in what is true. True love rejoices in the truth. We show love to others and promote unity among the body of Christ or in our marriages when we use words that conform to the truth, to the reality of our lives. Perhaps you're prone to exaggeration. Is it really the worst traffic you've ever seen? Is it the worst day you've ever had? Is the kid's room really the messiest you've ever seen it. That one may be true. (laughs) Lying may mean that you failed to follow through on something that you said you were going to do. They may seem like small things, or perhaps you're even thinking, well, that's really nitpicking those little insignificant things, really. But failing to speak truthfully is ultimately lying, and its end is destruction. The second type of words Proverbs speaks to that leads to death is found in the second half of Proverbs 26, 28. I already mentioned and read the first part, which speaks of lying. Here's what it says. A lying tongue hates his victims, and a flattering mouth works ruin. So, the second thing that leads to death here in Proverbs is that of flattery. Again, something we've heard of already to see the consistent teaching of Scripture. Insincere compliments, perhaps, with deceitful motives. When you give praise to someone because you're trying to lobby for a promotion or gain favor in their eyes, that is flattery. And the principle of Proverbs is clear. The flattering mouth eventually results in ruins. It is a house of cards that will eventually collapse. Flattery may occur when you're simply trying to avoid telling people what they maybe really truly need to hear. And you may think that you're doing them a loving favor by telling them what they want to hear, but in reality, you're causing more pain and robbing them of, what, of the need that they really may have that needs to be addressed. So, how should we fight flattery? What should it be replaced with? Proverbs gives us direction. Proverbs 28, 23 says this, whoever rebukes a man or woman will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. This means we all need people who are willing to speak words of reproof or even rebuke to us. If we are about to knowingly do something that will cause us pain, or if we are blinded to a sinful habit that is in our lives, we ought long for people to speak firmly and truthfully into our lives. Why? Look, the outcome there in verse 23 will afterwards lead to more favor. In the long run, what happens? You actually gain a friend by warning them of the error in their life. 
Perhaps the more well-known proverb that speaks to the same principle is found in Proverbs 27, beginning of verse 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. The one who does the rebuking or the wounding is actually the one who is faithfully loving the other person. So the next time you're tempted to speak well of someone, is it really done with the right motives in your heart? Perhaps what they need to hear is some loving correction or even the rebuke of a true friend. On to the third realm of the dangerous, deadly words that Proverbs speaks of. Proverbs 10 again, which speaks so much to words. This time, verse 18, just the the verse before we picked up in verse 19 says this, the one who conceals hatred has lying lips and whoever utters slander is a fool. Another word for slander is a word we've already heard and that is gossip. Gossip. Gossip does not mean that we can never talk about another person when they're not present. Does not mean that. So what is gossip and what does it look like? Gossip in one of its most easily identifiable forms, it might mean that we share a secret that that wasn't meant to be shared whether or not we were explicitly asked not to say anything. It may mean that we're talking about someone and berating them to someone else, but did you hear what they said or what they did? It's exactly what the beginning of Proverbs 20 verse 19 tells us about secret or slandering. Proverbs 20 verse 19, whoever goes about slandering, gossiping, reveals secrets. But gossip can look drastically different as well. It may mean telling a story when we really don't know if it's true or not. Maybe we don't have all the details, but we want to tell that story anyway because at least our version is a great story. It may mean talking in a cryptic way that subtly questions someone's character. Gossip may even mean making a statement that says something like this, well, you know what they say or what people are saying And really what you've done with a statement like that is you've given the unknown they and people the microphone. And the people become a tremendous source of gossip, whoever those people are. Again, Nathan did a wonderful job last night walking us through the end of Ephesians 4, and he directed our attention to this verse in verse 29. He said, "'Let no corrupt talking come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion.'" that it may give grace to those who hear. And he pointed out that that word corrupt there is a loaded word. It can mean bad, worthless, rotten, or decaying. And he mentioned rotten fruit. But really, he spared you of some of the gory details of that word. There's another more loaded and horrible image that that word ought convey to us. Matthew 13 uses the same word and applies it to bad, rotten fish. You ever smelled rotten fish? I only have had one time, and I don't care to ever do it again. 
So think of those rotten potatoes that you might find in the back of your pantry somewhere. And it takes you about a week to figure out, what is that smell in the kitchen? It's not the trash. It's not the fridge. It's the pantry. And you pull those tomatoes out, and they smell horrible, and they got the liquid all around them. We've never had that happen before. And, and they're disgusting. Rotten fish times 10, what those rotten potatoes smell like. But even more than the bad smell of the rotten fish, what we need to understand is it's a smell that sticks with you. Once you pull those potatoes out of the pantry, the smell remains for a while. Once you get that rotten fish in your nostrils or, heaven forbid, on your clothes, it takes a while to get rid of the smell. And the same is true of our rotten or corrupt talk. It's not talking about foul language here. It's talking about the gossip, the critical comments, the the slang title, the off-color joke. They can spoil not only an entire conversation, but the unity in a relationship. It's little wonder why Paul says, let no corrupt talk. Zero. Not just a little. Nothing. Removing corrupt talk for some of you, it may mean you need to change your friends because every time you hang out with certain friends, your speech tends to smell like rotten fish. It may mean removing yourself from certain situations, standing in the break room at work when gossip about the boss starts to run rampant. Remove yourself. Think through some of the conversations that you've had just over the past few weeks and ask yourself this question, what does the overall pattern of my speech smell like? Hopefully not like rotten fish. Instead, the positive command in the middle of verse 29 of Ephesians 4, as we saw last night, but only such as good as building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. We can say a lot of things, but, but a lot of things that we say may not be helpful, nor do they build up those who hear. And again, we see this language of building up in the context of Ephesians 4, referring to the body of Christ, to the church, and the unity that God has given us. Our conversations, it ought to be overflowing with grace that seeks to build others up, to benefit others, to the betterment of the bride of Christ. Only let words come out of your mouth that are good for building up, that may be beneficial, that give grace. Here's how Proverbs contributes to this same line of thought. Proverbs 16, 24, gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. I had the privilege of knowing my great grandfather, a couple of them actually, but my great grandpa Walker, he used to keep bees. And I remember as I was 10, 11, 12-year-old boy, we lived in a really old farmhouse, and some bees took up residence in the wall of our farmhouse one summer. And so we went out and we pulled the old paneling off the side of our farmhouse, and my great-grandfather walked up to this hive of bees he's never met before in his life. They didn't know him. He didn't know them. Uh, And 
he grabbed a hold of that honeycomb as careful and slow as he could. He broke off a piece. He walked slowly and carefully back without moving. At one point, one of them even stung him in the arm, and all he said was, hey, cut that out. And he walked over and he handed me a piece of that fresh honeycomb. Oh, it's so good, so sweet. Proverbs 16 says, Gracious are the words like a honeycomb that give life. So rather than gossip, we ought to use our words to encourage others that can have life-altering consequences in the lives of others. Think of those, again, who are closest to you, your husband, your children, your fiancé, your parents, a best friend. How might the words that you use encourage them today? Or what about those who you perhaps aren't as close to? Maybe even someone that you normally don't talk to. Because the last time you talked to them, it just didn't go very well. What can you say to them? What encouragement can you bring to them? What scripture can you lovingly encourage them with? So that it might be sweetness to their soul and health to their body. One of the fourth type of dangerous language mentioned now in Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18 says this, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. The fourth type of dangerous destructive language is that of rash words. Rash words. Rash words are reckless words that are said really without thinking things through. They may not be intended to hurt, but they can be devastating, just like the quick thrust of a sword. One of the quotes from an excellent book by Karen Eman, I believe we have a couple out in our Cafe Resource Center, actually. It's a book called Keep It Shut. Karen says this, Don't say something permanently painful just because you're temporarily ticked off. Before you speak, ask two questions. Two questions to ask yourself. Number one, is it the best time? Is it the best time for me to make this comment or say these words? If you've been married for any length of time, then you've hopefully begun to learn that timing is everything when it comes to the use of the words that we use. It's probably not the best idea to have a deep, emotion-filled conversation right before bed when you're both totally exhausted. If one or both of you aren't a morning person, then mornings probably aren't the best either. So maybe grab lunch together. Something in the middle of the day. Timing is important. And so, too, timing of our words in whatever relationship, whether it be among the church, with a friend, with a coworker, ought fit the occasion. Proverbs 25, verse 11 says, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. 
a word fitly spoken means that there is a right time and there's a right way to offer such words. So question one, is it the best time? Question two, is it the best way? Is it the best way for you to say that? Speak at the best time for others to say, but for others to hear it, but say it in the most helpful way. Even just the tone or the demeanor or the look on our face can say a lot about what we're saying. Proverbs 15, verse 4 says, A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but, for, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. A gentle tongue is a way to say something that gives life. Ultimately, before you speak, we ought, as we've already heard, pause and pray. The best way to avoid rash words, pause and pray. Puritan writer John Owen wrote this, if we would talk less and pray more about them, things would be better than they are in the world. At least we should be better enabled to bear them and undergo our portion in them with more satisfaction. We ought pray before we speak. One of the last one, excuse me, the last one now comes from the beginning of that section that we already looked at in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19, which again says, when words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Proverbs 10, verse 19 speaks to the fifth area, and that is many words. Many words. Now, I use words as a part of the calling that God has placed on my life. Words can be good, but too many words can be bad. Talking too much is often an indicator of listening too little. If you're prone to many words, then you may struggle with interrupting others, not giving time for others to perhaps process and think through what they need to say and what you need to hear. So what do we do? Well, the easy, simple solution is don't talk. Don't be quick to talk. Proverbs 21, 23 speaks this exact thing. It says, whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. In James chapter 1, verse 19, James reminds us, be quick to hear, but slow to speak. He said this because he is personally aware of our propensity that we ought more often than not remain silent before we speak. Silence is almost always best. Proverbs 17:28 is one of the last proverbs that I'll point you to today. It says this, even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. I like that proverb. I could just be quiet, and people will think that I'm a lot smarter than I really am. Certainly, though, there is a time to speak. When we need to correct error. When we need to encourage the brokenhearted. When we need to mourn with those who are mourning. 
when we need to rebuke those who claim the name of Christ, yet walk in sin. There is a time to speak, but there are many other times when we need to remain silent. I love the book of Job, and uh, one of the statements near the end of the book of Job in particular uh, is meaningful to me and my life. And if you recall Job, he, he lost everything in his life. He lost all of his children. He lost all of his possessions. He was covered from head to toe in boils and scraped himself with pottery. And this went on for an extended period of time. His friends came and tried to offer advice, didn't turn out so well. And then finally, Job, after remaining so silent for so long, he cries out to God and a point of frustration in his life. And then God amazingly answers him from the whirlwind. He says, brace yourself like a man. I will ask and you will answer me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? And he goes on for chapters asking Job these questions until you come to chapter 40, and Job responds to these questions of the Lord, and he says, I am completely unworthy. I put my hand over my mouth to silence myself. More often than not, I need to follow the direction of Job. Put my hand over my mouth. It takes work. It takes practice. But you will not regret it to remain silent until the time is right and the way is known. Even when Jesus was wrongly accused even as he hung there on the cross in our place and for our salvation, he remained silent. He didn't argue. He didn't justify. Instead, as we heard last night, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Listen to this stern warning from Jesus as well as we consider the words that we use, perhaps the many words that we use from Matthew chapter 12, not Proverbs, Matthew 12, verse 36, Jesus said, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Ultimately, as we think about the power of words, we conclude our weekend with the same place that we began, the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. So we ought speak life. We ought use words that encourage, exhort, and if need be, rebuke in all humility and with great patience. Almost 200 years ago, that well-known adage that most of you are probably familiar with, the pen is mightier than the sword, was first used to describe the power of written words. 200 years is a long time. But I prefer a statement that's been around far longer, in fact, about 10 times longer. It comes from the book of Romans, chapter 10, verse 17, which reminds us, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. This means the greatest way that you can speak life into someone is to point them to the life that is in Christ, 
to point them to the one who knew no sin, who became like us in every way, sin only accepted and willingly gave himself upon the cross for us and for our salvation that we might have life and speak life to others. May we be known as a people who faithfully proclaim the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And ladies, can you imagine the impact that you could have with your words if you seek to speak life every single moment of every single day. May we all speak life to others. Father, we thank you for this time that we've had last night and this morning to peer in to the endless, marvelous truth of your word. Father, We thank you that you have spoken to us through your word. That we can open your word, the Bible, and read your very words given to us that we may have life, that we may understand and know and live out what it means to speak life to others. Father, I thank you for each woman here in this room. I thank you, Father, that you have allowed them, enabled them to take this time out of so many busy schedules that are leading in so many different ways and so many things to do to be able to come and be still before you, to hear from your word. And I pray, Father, that each life as we leave today would be set aside, would be consecrated to you. So, Father, would you do that which we cannot do? Would you bridle our tongues? Would you help us to say those things that build up, encourage, and exhort others. Father, not to us, but to you belongs all glory and honor and praise. And it all comes to us through Christ and by your Spirit. So we pray it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.